Hi everybody, my name is Dean Saffron. I'm a commercial and documentary photographer filmmaker. I specialize in human interest stories. You can view my work at deansaffron.com. I also love all furry babies, so I simply had to start a podcast called Furfillment, where each week I will explore a different person's life story and that of their pets. If you want to be on the show or you know a person that should be on the show, please contact us at our Facebook page, Furfillment. Okay, sit back, relax and enjoy. Hi, everybody. This week's special guest is an amazing person, uh, Dr. Donna Scott. She has the Veterinarian Acupuncture and Wellness Centre located in Newport, Victoria. But soon, she will not only have that practice, she's going to be working up here in Forest Glen on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And uh, like all good Victorians, we've had now 38,000 of them move to the Sunshine Coast since COVID has started. And this amazing vet is going to join the flock and save the world one pet at a time. Thank you, Donna, for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so look, let's start. Um, you did your study, a degree in uh, at the University of Melbourne in 2007, is that right? Yeah, I graduated in 2007 and started in 2004. And um, yeah, I uh, knew nothing about Australia. Um, and as it is difficult to get into vet school here, it's difficult to get into school in Canada and um, met with a professor and he sort of said to me, you know, um, had you thought about Australia? And I thought, no, why would I, why would I think that? And um, he just said, you know, they have a really good sort of work-life balance and, uh, you know, they produce really good vets with a good bedside manner. And I thought, you know what, that sounds like me. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I'm, you know, sort of determined. And if I, set my mind to do something I end up hopefully finishing it and um, applied and got in and then thought well how am I going to afford to pay for this Um, but we refinanced our house um, and yeah the rest is is uh, history as they say well I mean let's just start with that I mean have you seen the movies Crocodile Dundee? I mean, that's the quintessential Australian. And now you've come over here to wrestle crocs. No, not really. But uh, <laughs> but it's funny you should say that because as a Canadian, that's kind of what we, you know, sort of our um, exposure to Australia was, is Crocodile Dundee and then obviously Steve Irwin. And so before we moved, we thought, well, we better you know, get our uh, footing. And so we started watching some of the shows and stuff and thinking, okay, we're going to be ending up in the, you know, the outback. And um, that's really kind of all we knew and saw of Australia. And uh, yeah, being in North America, you don't really get a lot of um, news from overseas. So it definitely was a um, quite the experience and but felt very welcome and very much um, as part of almost like Canada when we got here, it, it wasn't sort of too much of a fish out of water, as they say. So, Well, it's very, very similar to Canada, um, the way I sort of saw it when I went to Canada. But I must admit, 
every person I know from around the world expects us to have either a crocodile in the bathtub or Skippy running around uh, in your backyard. And it is really quite shocking, isn't it, when you get there and go, oh, it's just another city. Well, that's the thing. And funny you should say that because I had a colleague and she's from California and uh, she came to um, uh, Australia for vet school and uh, I taught her and she decided that she wanted to go back to California to do her uh, residency in emergency medicine. And she said they literally, it was the University of California, UC Davis, they did not ask her a question about her vet skills whatsoever. All they wanted to know was, have you seen a crocodile? Have you seen, you know, poisonous snakes? And she said <laughs> it was the strangest of interviews because they genuinely couldn't care less if I could place a catheter or intubate a dog. But what they wanted to know was, you know, what sort of animals I'd seen and my travels and that kind of thing. And I thought, yeah, that probably says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> totally. I mean, you know, I think Canada and I expect when I went to Toronto, there was going to be a bear that was just going to, I don't know, hug me at night when I wanted to go to sleep and it just didn't sort of happen. So <laughs> I'm well, with you. <laughs> that's the that's the funny part as well too is I did end up practicing in Whistler for a couple of years and talking about bears um they were in Whistler and they would be walking down the street and where we lived on occasion if we were lucky enough you would see a bear walking down you know the street or there was times where we had gone into Vancouver for the weekend and we'd come back and there'd be like paw prints of a bear on our back door or, you know, even walking the dogs, you always had to be a little careful because you were thinking, if I turn this corner, you know, I could be, you know, encountering a bear. And that, so completely the opposite. And of course, we have raccoons. So I always had to worry about, you know, dogs having altercations with raccoons. And at first, I would say, sorry, did you see a raccoon? And they no. say, oh, yeah, no, a raccoon. And I'm like, how did that even happen? But the raccoons would get into the doggy door, in through the doggy door. You're kidding me. No Not way. Not even kidding you. And of course, they carry rabies. So there's always that worry, you know, of sort of, yeah. That's insane. So you have rabies in Canada. Yeah, we do have rabies in Canada. So we have to vaccinate our uh, cats and dogs against it. So, wow. yeah. So really, so you're more uh, Crocodile Dundee than we are. So... <laughs> That just true, blows true. that away, yes. yes. But I'll, I'll tell you something really quickly. I, I was teaching English in Japan for a very short time, and I convinced my uh, students that I had pet kangaroos and that the kangaroos I'd be able to put in the mother's pouch my, um, my shopping, and she'd also be able to take me to and from the pub. But unfortunately, it came unstuck when one of those students came over here and wanted to meet the pets and I had to go out to the back door and yell out hey Joey come on mate someone wants to see you oh sorry they ran away <laughs> no serious so <laughs> okay now you're so amazing uh what really got got my attention was the fact that you believe in alternative medicine for animals yes uh, can you tell me about how that sort of eventuated into being a mainstream part of your business? 
Yeah. And I've, you know, kind of as you do when you get a little bit older and start to reflect, I think my love of health sort of came from my grandma, my dad's mom. And I remember being at their house and, you know, this was back in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. And you'd say to her, like, can I have a, you know, snack or some junk food? And it was always, you know, sort of really healthy, conscious kind of, oh, you can have some black licorice because it's not, you know, got as much sugar as red licorice or, you know, don't have your juice, have your water. And so I think all three of my brothers and myself, we kind of, my mom sort of was the same. She didn't really give us a lot of junk food. She always cooked for us. And so there was always, and my grandma was a nurse. And so, um, there was always this idea of, of health. And so, I did initially when I sort of graduated high school, I wanted to become a nutritionist and sort of explore that side of things. And um, but then I discovered dogs and it was really my first dog that I had that uh, made me sort of aware of the animal human bond. And I just thought if this is what this, you know, kind of looks like, I want to be a vet. I want to help people have just the best kind of quality of life they can with their animals and give you know just as much time as as you can to spending with um with animals so um it was kind of through vet school that you know things just didn't really sort of make sense to me in the sense that you know if we had an animal that was immunosuppressed we would give them more immunosuppressed you know sort of immunosuppressive drugs and I kind of thought this doesn't make sense. Like, why aren't we helping to support them and helping them to, um, you know, be as healthy as as possible? So, I think the other side. I definitely, when I first graduated, I was very science kind of based, which I think is still really good. I think you can have the best of both worlds. I think you can have that integrative medicine. Um, but it wasn't until I went back to Canada and I kind of got introduced to sort of raw food feeding. And I had a cat that, yeah, it was kind of, um, you know, uh, I was trying to meet my sister-in-law and I I had a few minutes to kind of spare and I went into this pet store and there was freezers and freezers of raw food. And I just thought, well, this is a bit strange. And we had always been told, you know, raw food feeding is dangerous. It's unsafe. Um, But as I started to look at the food, I thought, you know what, this just kind of makes sense to me. And I had a cat that um, the clinic that I was at, so this cat had had, you know, you name it, every test done under the sun. And it was having vomiting and diarrhea. And it was just really unhealthy. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to just try this cat on a raw food diet. So I talked to the owner. Yeah, I talked to the owner and said, look, there's not a pet store kind of around here, but I'm going into Vancouver for the weekend. And if you're open to some, you know, raw food feeding, I'll get you some and let's just see, you know, let's just try it. So we did that and we did that for sort of a few months and the cat was pretty much back to normal. And my boss was kind of, you know, cheekily saying to me, you know, what did you do? I've tried everything with this cat. And I said, I just tried raw food feeding. And then that's, I kind of started. To, 
Sorry yeah. to interject, but that's, no. that's like mind blowing. So all the science side, and I like the fact that you cross over and want to do both, um, because I think there's a place for both definitely. And I've definitely. lost, uh, friends with cancer who have just done one or the other. And I think maybe, um, a crossover could have, could have helped, but I'm not a doctor. You are, but with, so what did the, the vet, your boss, say to you when you brought it forward that all I did was take it back to the bare basics, what they would have had, which was raw food? And exactly. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, in secret, he was sort of, you know, happy that um, we had helped the cat. But I think there was a bit of, you know, frustration on on his part that, you know, he couldn't he couldn't help that animal. And after that, I kind of watched, you know, how he sort of fed and treated his own animals. And he definitely, you know, stayed with um, dry food, dry kibble. Um, and he was a bit, you know, sort of, I guess, in some ways, a bit reluctant to to make those changes because he was, you know, and still is very scientifically based, which is great. But at the same time, he does now do acupuncture and he'll kind of say to you, like, I know it works. I don't know how it works, but I know it works. And I kind of give him full credit because I think, you know, that's how it works sometimes. We don't really know exactly, you know, how it works. But I think especially with animals, there's no placebo effect. Yes. You know, it either works or it doesn't. So that's the beautiful thing about working with them is they're really just open to anything. And um, I just find... Yeah, it's it's such a lovely medicine to be able to kind of implement because uh, the more that I do work with animals, it's very much, a, you know, they work on energy. So it's, yeah, there is no, this isn't going to work or why would I try that or, you know, um, it's just, it's pure medicine really. So Well, I think that um, going back to uh, when you're working that other practice, and, you know, for that 18 months or two years, and that vet said, well, I don't know why it, it works, but it does, is really an insight into yourself for actually persevering, listening to possible negativity, and over the course of this cat getting so much better, you've influenced uh, a person that has been only scientifically based. And I think... That is truly amazing. And looking at your work uh, and now listening to you, I see that nutritional evidence uh, is the biggest um, start. You've got to have a good foundation. But then you go into acupuncture, uh, chiropractic works, holistic medicine, herbal medicine, um, and there's a huge thing in uh, North America where people are, and it's a huge industry, uh, cannabis for, for animals as well as humans. So do you use um, those sort of uh, supplements as well? Can you talk us through, someone comes in, you want their, their pet, which is their furry baby, and you spend so much time just like they do with that pet that uh, the pet becomes part of your family as well in your mind because you've seen it from birth to death most likely um how do you start a process so you've got your food and then what's the next thing you do to try and, and help yeah so i think 
food definitely, you know, uh, is so, so important for so many different reasons. Um, hydration, you know, that raw food, it's, we we're 60, 70%, you know, water, we need to have that, um, food. It just, it's, it's non-inflammatory, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, and then I kind of just look at that first year of life, um, for animals and just the stress, you know, the stress of being taken away from their litter, the stress of being desexed, the stress of being vaccinated, wormed, fleed. Sorry, you're going to hear my dog Finn again start to howl in the back. That's fantastic. Mine was just oh. trying to get in through the door. <laughs> yeah, if the phone rings, he starts to howl a little bit. He's not. He's not a wolf, by the way. We did. Uh, we did get him from Australia. I'm just joking. He's a um, dingo. He's a dingo. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah. So that first year of life is really just you know, so important. So I, I do believe that they do need to have, you know, their their puppy or their kitten vaccines, but supporting them as best as we can through that, you know, making sure we don't do early desexing because there's a lot of things that you can do from the get-go, you know, that's really long-term. You really shouldn't have to go to your vet every six months or every, you know, two months that's that's not normal you know but that's become the norm um so or even you know so many of the animals i see now are overweight because of what we're feeding them and they're a year old and they're already potentially you know five kilograms overweight i'm thinking there's so much that we can do to give them that quality of life and that's the biggest thing for me is i see a lot of you know, sort of elderly patients. And uh, there's, you know, some of my clients will comment and just say, I'm so grateful because I feel like, you know, most vets would kind of throw the towel and just saying, you know, your dog's old, not much we can do. And I'm like, there's so much that we can do. And that's when it really starts to matter as far as making sure they're in pain, making sure that they don't get cancers and they don't get those sort of chronic diseases. And I think that's where, integrative is so important because western medicine is wonderful for you know the acute side of things so if you you know have a trauma or something like that then you know you want your pain relief you want your um, fluids you want those sorts of things but it's very limited with sort of the chronic side of things so um there's so much and that that's probably what gives me the greatest joy is those those animals that you know would have had a, potentially a shorter life had had they not sort of come and you know tried different things so so like you were kind of saying with the cbd oil um that's been a really great game changer for me because i now can le- legally um prescribe it and so i can say you know it's definitely this amount of you know milligrams and that kind of thing because it is a medicine it is a drug and it has been around thousands of years but it's you know sort of gotten this bad reputation um but it's a wonderful drug to be able to do palliative you know sort of care with minimal side effects and i'm really fortunate because most of the people that come to see me are very lovely open-minded they just want the best for their animals. And that's, you know, sort of why I became a vet is because I just wanted to give the best quality of life that I could to uh, animals while they're on this earth. And, you know, that's what makes you so amazing. A lot of vets, you know, they do obviously care uh, for their pets. 
that they or their customers or their patients. I like how you say patients. Um, but there's also a lot of restrictions and, you know, it must have been amazing when what you're doing is the frontier. So being able to open up a wellness center and, and even just that term is, is incredible and getting CBD oil across the, the line. Do you have a lot of, um, debate with more traditional vets about, you know, going forward with chiropractic techniques, for an example? Yes. And I think, you know, sort of um, where I've worked sort of previously, even sort of 10 years ago, you know, to kind of say acupuncture, um, I, I was kind of told that I, you know, wasn't able to practice that time kind of medicine under my my job I uh, had several instances through my career where I was told that if I wanted to work where I was working I was not allowed to practice that kind of medicine because I was so excited to be able to incorporate it because I just knew that it would work but there was this yeah this through through several vets and even in so much as with sort of raw food feeding I was you know not scolded but um, one vet in particular kind of said to me, look, you need to really, you know, be educated a little bit better with nutrition because you're, you're confusing people. And, you know, maybe you and I should have a, a chat about <laughs> nutrition. And I'm thinking, really? um, are you serious? We both, yeah. Yeah. Um, needless to say, I never went to that meeting or that discussion. Um, but I've, you know, met with resistance um, in different forms, in different jobs. Um, and it's still, there still is a little bit of resistance or a bit of eye rolling through, you know, people and that kind of thing. But I think in some ways that that makes me more motivated, more passionate, because I think I'm not going to win everybody over. I'm not going to convince everybody. I think when I first started, I kind of felt like I did need to convince people because I'm like, how can you not know that this is going to work or, or make a difference in this patient's life? But at the end of the day, I can only do what I can do and I can only, you know, practice and learn what I, what I want to learn. But, um, but you know, the interesting thing that I'm just seeing blatantly clear by, by listening to you is all the medicines you're actually using have been around longer than um, scientific-based um, medicine. You know, they, they go back to Chinese thousands of years, like acupuncture is like 3,000 years old or something close to that. And, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm really kind of uh, surprised that people can't see the fact that there must be some foundation for it. So I'm for it, sister. But tell me yeah. <laughs> how long has, well, when, do you know the history of acupuncture with animals? Do you know when it sort of started? Because I looked it up and all I could find in 1971, two brothers in England did it, but they were just talking about, um, you know, in England. And that was the same thing with chiropractor. It started, earlier but i can't find any real information on it so can you give me um your views on how long people have been doing this and maybe looked at um a little bit as you said a bit too open-minded um but 
you know, it's a, it's a necessity. So do you know the history of, of those alternative practices? Yes, and that's what I love about sort of Chinese medicine. And, um, you know, I kind of say to people when it works, it's just such a beautiful medicine to practice. But they started doing it before they started practicing on the emperor. So they were actually practicing on animals first. No way. So people, yeah. So people always say to me, wow, like you could do acupuncture on my cat or my dog. And I would say to them, it's been around beforehand, um, before practicing on humans. So they had to, with some of the points, they've had to kind of change it a little bit because the anatomy is quite different of a horse to say a cat or a dog to a human. So some of the acupuncture points have moved um, and they're still trying to figure out, you know, the purists are like, do we move it, you know, uh, half of a centimeter this way or half centimeter that way? Uh, and some people are like, just put the needle in, you know, the body will do what it, it needs to do. But uh, yeah, horses and uh, dogs and stuff. I mean, they were kind of the, literally the guinea pigs. And the cool thing about um, Chinese medicine is the um, the Chinese were one of the last, um, you know, people to kind of do postmortems. So they didn't even really know where the kidneys were, where the spleen was, where the liver is. Uh, and if you follow some of the acupuncture points, some of them will run along the nerve channels and some of them will. Uh, and to this day, it just amazes me that I didn't really know where things were, but yet they did. Like they just Ooh. trial and error and the books. I mean, the number of books that have been written on just the different acupuncture points and you know, the circulation, the circulation of the tongue and the the pulse. I mean, to this day, it's still so relevant. But it's mind-blowing uh, when you – I didn't know that. And when you think about that, even just for a second, that they weren't doing the post-mortems, but they knew where everything was, it just shows that it was a really innate experiential learning, which is, you know – pretty much one of the best ways to learn anything and master something, hand it down. Like I'm part Aboriginal and um, I believe very much in uh, storytelling and and being shown things that have been passed on for 60-odd thousand years. So um, th this is totally amazing and I'm going to have to uh, do a lot more research and talk to a doctor about that, a Chinese doctor. Um, can you give me an example? other than the cat where you know you've had this incredible success with doing um you know both uh, scientific and well more scientific i suppose uh, mm. natural yeah i think the biggest thing is you know uh longevity um i feel like if it wasn't i think probably the biggest compliment that I kind of get is that if it wasn't the medicine that you practiced, you know, um, my animal would have been gone, you know, three or four years ago, like you just gave them that quality of life. Um, you know, a good example would be uh, an animal that's suffering with renal failure or kidney, you know, sort of failure. Yes. And in Western medicine, it's kind of doom and gloom. Like I remember being taught if you see you know, the enzymes starting to go up, you know, 75% of the kidney is is non-functional. 
So I remember graduating thinking, this is like a really poor prognosis, you know, like, sure, we can maybe put them on some fluids, or maybe we can put them on a renal diet. Um, And that was about it. And I mean, I look back now, and in general, so many of the animals that got put down, um, I just think that was just so unnecessary. If people only knew what their options are, I mean, most people that I sort of talk to, you know, even if their dog is, um, you know, a year or two years old, and they're, you know, they got into, say, some, you know, doggy neurofin, you know, they were told by their vets, you know, the kidneys are compromise there's nothing you can do and and Chinese medicine again that sort of I always go back to I have a wonderful um, mentor Dr. Steve Marston um, in Canada that's been just an absolutely wonderful mentor to to me and has talked to me in regards of um, you know dealing with Chinese medicine uh, with circulation and so you know those patients that it was kind of doom and gloom um being educated by him, everything just started to make sense. And so with Chinese medicine, it's not kind of a one size fits all. It depends on where they're at in their kidney disease. Is it inflammatory? Is it more ischemia, meaning a lack of blood flow? So through Chinese medicine, you can manipulate blood flow, which is so cool to me. So if you have a kidney, oh, yeah. Tell me about that. So if you have a, say, an older cat, um, that's got kidney issues. Then there's two particular um, Chinese herbs, one being Romania, the other one being astragalus or Donghui. Um, sorry, Donghui, it's not astragalus, but um, they uh, increase. So, so um, Romania in particular, they've done research uh, and it goes to the bone marrow and gets the bone marrow to make more red blood cells. <laughs> and if you have more red blood cells, then you have more blood. Yes. And so those particular herbs increase the blood or the circulation to the kidneys. So what I do as far as the integrative side of things is I use blood tests to tell me if I'm working and helping that animal. So if the enzymes come down, I know I'm doing the right thing. If they start to go up, then I know that I need to tweak the formula. So you can start to kind of tweak things as far as how the patient is. Um, And I've had cats that have come back to completely normal with their kidney function, which I could never. And same thing with their liver function. How's that possible? Like, I mean, I know, right? Oh, my God, just listening to what you're saying, that is pretty much a miracle. It is pretty much a miracle. And I kind of say to people, if it wasn't for this medicine, I would not be able to offer you these kind of options or these sorts of results. Like, I would never have said we can aim to get, you know, the levels down to normal. Like, that's just not possible. It's just like, let's just manage what we can and, you know, do the best quality of life we can. But my aim is to get them pretty much back to normal if I if I can if I can't you know there's a bit of frustration there because I'm like oh I wish we could get them you know 100% better but um and and I'm talking like two weeks two weeks of being on a herb only two weeks only two weeks and then I repeat the blood test and I'm like oh my gosh it's like 50% better you know like it's it's pretty profound kind of kind of stuff and I think I think that's where a lot of vets that do integrative medicine we kind of stay for the long haul because 
it's just so rewarding. You know, I think if I wasn't doing this type of medicine, I'd be burnt out, I'd be frustrated, because you just, you just can't get a lot of your patients better. But just just actually hearing you say that like in two weeks, you can have such a, a, a profound difference. I mean, has there been any research between um, your study and the correlation between humans having the same issues? Because you pointed out something very interesting, which, I mean, everything you've said is interesting, but the fact that with a human's body, when you do acupuncture or any of those, uh, even chiropractic services, we only have one body, one one skeletal uh, system um, that's identical, whereas each of your patients, all the different species, need something different. So has there been any research between what you're doing and the same thing happening to humans in particular, like the kidney or or liver diseases going down because of the roots? Yeah, and I think the hard part is, is, um, you know, the with acupuncture in particular, it's a hard one to kind of do research on in the sense that, um, you know, and that's the thing too, is when I practice this medicine, everyone's like, where's your research? Where's your research? And I get that. It's, it's, it would be nice to be able to kind of say, Hey, here we had, you know, 10 cats that all had kidney issues and we gave them this one particular type of herb and it worked fantastically. But the hard part about that is, is that you could have 10 completely different cats, like, because the kidney part of it is just the very top part of it. It's not sort of addressing the underlying reason for it. And it's that underlying reason that you need to sort of address or treat for. So it can be a really difficult medicine um, to treat for if you're not sort of on top of it. And I'm forever, you know, talking to Steve saying, Steve, this doesn't make sense to me, like, or I tried this and it didn't work kind of thing. And I think the other side of it is, you know, financially, it's not a medicine that's making, you know, it's not like the pharmaceutical companies where it's like we have one drug, we're going to try it on 50 different patients. This is such a different medicine to that. So I don't think there's ever going to be the same amount of research. But having said that, that's the beautiful thing about being um, in this type of field is the vets that I work with. Um, you know, we're all, we all collaborate really well. And so we're trying to collectively as a whole, like where I, um, did my acupuncture course in Florida, the Chi Institute, um, even IVIS, which is another institute that does acupuncture. We're aware of the limitations and that we probably haven't done research in, you know, a very long time. Um, and that we do need to have a bit more, support behind it like there certainly is with acupuncture there's a lot of research out there for like musculoskeletal issues pain relief those sorts of things uh but as far as cancers and that kind of thing it's it's there and it's up and coming but there's probably a lot of work to be done that's what's exciting isn't it yeah I always have this analogy, which um, is not vet related, but um, uh, there's so many people that thought cars, when Henry Ford came out, when he made one, was not going to go anywhere because everyone's going to want their horse and cart and continue to do what they did. Now, look at Tesla. 
It's gone so far ahead, but even Henry Ford would not have known what Tesla was going to do. Um, uh, well, I don't mean the Tesla. I mean, you know, uh, mask um, with how cars were going to go electric. And that's the same thing with you guys is you don't know where it's going to go. But if you get a band of brothers and sisters together that are doing your own studies and your own uh, research through practice, surely um, you're talking about like any other science, you don't know where it's going to go and it's exciting times. I agree. I think it's kind of, and especially in Australia as well too, like anytime I would go back to, because I did most of my courses in the US, in particular, I kind of wanted to do them there just because the, I feel like, we're still a little bit behind here, you know, like raw food feeding, you don't even really sort of talk about it there. It's like, you just, you do it. Right. And it's like with the courses and the, I just feel like, I think from a population point of view, because there is so much more people and animals and stuff in the U S they're just really keen to kind of, you know, try the latest supplement or try this. Or every time I go back, I'm like, wow, I've never even heard of this before. So I feel like I was kind of just so like a, you know, kid going to kindergarten and just learning so much. And then I come back here and, um, you know, even in so much with the regenerative medicine, that's something that I learned from my, um, boss uh in Whistler Dr. David Lane he sort of introduced me to regenerative I wouldn't even have known that that was a possibility I mean there's a few vets practicing it here but um can you explain that like describe what it actually is how it works yeah yeah so I worked in the surgery department for quite a few years and that was another thing where it just never really made sense to me that we would do surgery on a knee and then say, okay, now put your dog in a crate for two months. Maybe let them out every so often for a pee break. But other than that, they have to be, you know, back in that crate and and completely rested. Well, we now know for people as well too, right? You have back surgery. It's like that day, we want you up. We want you moving. It's funny you say that, just quickly, side note, our dog, our dog, my little furry baby Rory, snapped his, um, like, equivalent ACL uh, on both legs now, and we just straight away got him up and, and running, and what changed his life, the first leg and then we've done it since was the um aqua pouring so putting someone putting him in like a fish tank so to speak but a huge one with a mm. treadmill and water mm. up to his tummy so yep. i hear you girl you keep going yep yep and i kind of you know people will say to me what's the best supplement and i'm like moving moving is so important because you know 80 percent of that stability is coming from muscle only 20 percent comes from the joint so if you are the best surgeon in the world and that knee looks fantastic, but you have no muscles to support you or your back is stiff, it's like you need to address the whole body. And the surgery itself just never made sense to me. I'm thinking this is like a soft tissue injury. Why are we, you know, using a, a bone um, saw to cut through the leg and rotate it and plate it and you know, so invasive and we're not even addressing the arthritis. Like it just seems crazy to me. 
Well, um, I wish it didn't give me that description because now I'm in trauma knowing my little man had to go through that twice. But- yes, and people <laughs> don't even know that, right? And the last surgery that I scrubbed into, I walked away saying, I just don't even think I ever want to be a part of that again. So I, yeah, I just wanted to find, because it is such a common thing in our dogs, which again, I try to address that from a, you know, sort of Chinese medicine point of view. Why is that ligament, you know, drying out? And it's a degenerative sort of disease. Um, I, yeah, I could, I mean, I could speak on this stuff for forever because it's just such a, uh, uh, not a complicated, but it's, it's just, again, what us humans are doing and feeding to our dogs, but, and early dissecting, all that kind of stuff. But I just, I just wanted something where, you know, regenerative medicine, if, you know, there's a tendon tear, okay. I can inject stem cells and PRP into that tendon and get it to repair itself. Really? That's that's pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that is, I tell you what, um, because I have taken up so much of your time, no, I'd no, love to talk good. to you again just about your stem cell um, research and, and exam- examples that are, are working, like what you just explained to us. But I think maybe we should do a part two, if that suits sure. you. Sure. Okay. Well, um, just to summarize, I think you're absolutely incredible and I'm sure that the listeners are going to lose their mind. And I'm not cutting you off, but let's have a little teaser for the next chat that we talk about. Can you give me one quick example where you have used stem cells and uh, the outcome? Sure. So my lovely dog, Charlie. So Charlie, I got um, in Whistler and Charlie is one of those loves of my life. Um, I unfortunately or fortunately um, castrated him. He came from the local uh, um, shelter and he had a few issues. So he couldn't really walk as a puppy and um, he would sort of take a couple steps and sort of fall over. He was born with, I think, a neurological uh, issue. And so there was sort of the chat that, you know, we might need to put him down. Um, and me being me, I uh, said to my husband, you know, look, I'm just I'm just going to, you know, take him home for the weekend, get him out of the shelter, uh, just give him, you know, some time. And my uh, mother-in-law said, you've adopted him, haven't you? And I said, yes, but don't tell him. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, you're knowing awesome. Me well, <laughs> knowing me well. Um, so Charlie has been a little bit of my, my guinea pig. So he's still on his right back leg. He, um, he knuckles or he kind of, uh, drags his, his right back leg. He's done his cruciate on his left hand side. And I did end up doing surgery on it because he only has really one good leg. And then poor Charlie did his, um, biceps and his supraspinatus tendon on his front leg. Can you do that? Yes, yes. So this poor dog is just amazing. He just kind of gets on with life because from the very beginning, he's known no difference. Um, And so I did the PRP and the stem cells in his uh, shoulder and I did the PRP in his uh, knee that he had the surgery on for uh, arthritis. Now this poor dog was on his front leg, you know, for longer than I care to kind of admit. Um, after I did stem cells and the PRP, 
he's a different dog. He's just, I mean, he's not a hundred percent and he never will be, but uh, it was a very easy, non-invasive procedure. I mean, these, some of these injuries can go on for months and months and even years. And it's a really, yeah, it's, you know, it's like a, almost like a rotator cuff injury in people, let alone dogs that weight bear 60% in their front legs. So, you know, if you're sore and you're having to walk around on that poor leg every day, um, it can be, you know, you can get a bit miserable. So, uh, he had his injections done a couple years ago now, and I haven't had to sort of repeat them. And he's just a perfect example of, you know, being able to practice that kind of uh, medicine or, you know, injections on him. It's just made such a difference to his quality of life. So that's, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Totally incredible. And really when we come back, um, as soon as you've got time for your next podcast, we'll talk more about Charlie because he's the love of your life. Yeah. I just want to thank you so much uh, Dr. Scott, for actually explaining everything the way you did. And you make it really simple. So not only myself, but all the listeners will be able to get a real grasp on what wellness really means. And yeah. Have you got any parting words for this episode that you would like to throw out to people on better care for their, their beautiful furry babies? Yes. Um, so I am so grateful that I, you know, got to be able to go to vet school first and foremost, that I could, you know, travel the world and be able to sort of afford it. And it's an honor to be able to treat people's, you know, animals. And, you know, sky is the limit with this. I am still learning so much in regards to you know, the other day I did a webinar on fascia. Oh my gosh, fascia is just a whole other, you know. So that's the beautiful thing about what I can sort of offer and what I can do is I feel like I still have a ton to learn. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just so grateful. And I think like you mentioned, I think it's a really great time to be able to practice this type of medicine because people are wanting it for themselves and they're coming to me because they're wanting it for their animals. Things yes. that they were doing before just didn't make sense. They're like, it doesn't make sense that my dog's on all this medications, you know? And I'm like, yeah, because it doesn't make sense, you know? Um, it doesn't so make I think sense. It doesn't make sense. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that people have allowed me the opportunity to be able to do things and to educate myself and to be a part of their, you know, lives and that they want the best for their animals. Um, so that speaks very highly of my clients as well too, because, you know, it is their fur babies and it is their kid and that's a big responsibility, but I don't take it lightly. Um, and I always hope that I do the best job that I can. And I always hope that I'm passionate and love what I do. And so far I've been really fortunate to still love what I do. Well, on that note, I can only thank you from bottom of my heart for actually sharing that information and the journey that you are starting well you will be soon going to forest glen which means sunshine coast people are going to have this wonderful care as well um look i can't 
honestly thank you enough for being on our show and I really look forward to doing part two. I know I sort of bamboozled you on air and pushed you into it, but there's just so much we've got to draw out of your brilliance. So um, until then, thank you very much and we will talk soon. Thank you again, and uh, thanks to all your listeners for keeping an open mind. And um, just to give a shout-out to the new uh, clinic, it's called The Natural Vets. I hope everyone heard that, The Natural Vets at Forest Glen. All right, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and we will be back with this brilliant mind um, in the not-too-distant future. So thank you very much. Thanks. Until next time, this is Fur Filament with your host, Dean Saffron. Peace and love, everybody. Mm-hmm.